thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This episode comes at you like a swift kick in the pants. Brett Bartholomew brings some pretty amazing insight to the show today, citing sociological studies and history as the foundation for his coaching approach. You can hear the passion in Brett's voice as he talks about his recent projects, including a networking organization for coaches called The Bridge. One of Brett's strong convictions challenges the antiquated mindset that coaches should sacrifice absolutely everything for a spot with a team. Not true, says Brett. When we do that, we devalue the expertise we have amassed. There are seriously so many amazing pieces of research to noodle on in this episode, and I know you guys are going to enjoy it. This is episode 237. Power Athlete Nation. 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 What is up? This is Luke at Power Athlete HQ Gym. There's Tex running from the toilets. Say hey, Tex. Hey. Hey. And then you got John. We're in Power at the HQ on a Sunday on the Shabbos doing our side hustle. I thought the Shabbos was a Saturday. Uh, you know, there's lots of ins, lots of outs, lots of what okay. have you. Lots of threads in old Duder's head there. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're just going to get right into it because it is Sunday and we just want to roll. All right. We have Brett Bartholomew on the line. Uh, Brett was on episode 210 for his inaugural Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast. In strength and conditioning. Conditioning. In, in appearance. John, we need an How'd ing that out of you. How'd that episode go, by ing, the way? Ing. I didn't get an ing out of this guy. Ing. Ing. <laughs> I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. <laughs> uh, solid, man. Solid. Yeah, we uh, we have no idea because we don't even look at the stats. We just put this out there, and it magically goes into the internet. Smart. <laughs> no, Smart. we crushed I like it, the, I like it. But um, ladies and gentlemen, it is just after Thanksgiving here, and uh, we're just approaching the new year. Right. So what you're going to see is our next iteration or I guess kind of a, a polished iteration of the old lean and able and jackhammer popping out. Now, listen, people, here's the thing. If you're following Field Strong, if you're following Jack Street, don't think you're going to pop off that and come onto this lean and able. This is the training wheel stuff. This is for your significant other. If they're a pussy and they don't want to do Field Strong because they don't have the confidence, this is where they jump in and get into maybe a little bit of lean and able, a little bit of jackhammer. Right. And uh, this is really for the resis out there because we're here to save you. It's not that we don't like you. We just don't agree with your methodology of start tomorrow. Okay. So keep your eyes peeled at powerathletehq.com for the lean enable and jackhammer programs popping off after the new year. That's about the so only update. Which one got. of these do I need to do? Cause that, I was trying Both. to follow that there. Oh, so you're Jack more of a sounds cool. Yeah. So, so jackhammer is basically like, Hey, you know, it's kind of the entry level Jack street, right? So Jack street being our program where, Hey, we're, pa- we're packing slabs of meat on two loaves of bread on that back, right? Taxi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, it's two French loaves, you idiot. <laughs> no, you're like, like yeah, it's not, this Uni's wheat bread on your fucking back. I'm like, the fuck is he talking about? It's French loaves. Uh, great, great joke. Great, it hit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll fill you in on that in a second, Brett. Uh, and then Lean and Able is kind of. We have two versions of that. It's like you know, uh, we got the at home version, which is good for my mom. You know, it gets her off the. Ch- you know, you can make it as hard as you want because it's kind of like auto regulation. Go as hard as you can for 30, 40 seconds. Use a med ball. Use a fucking loaf of bread. Uh, it doesn't matter on your Russian twist, your reverse lunges. And then we have like the gl- Globo Gym version, right? So just uh, exposing some people that maybe uh, uh, towing the line of performance based training to what we have to offer, and then we hook them. <laughs> fish hook and uh double fish hook and get them into the family right 
So people, that's it. So uh, Brett, let's get into you, baby. Uh, I got a huge list. Uh, your your CV, your curriculum vitae, I believe is what that means, right? Dude, <laughs> here's the thing. I think we just shift, we reposition, and we don't talk about strength and conditioning today. What we talk about is hustle. Mm. Let's just explore everyone's side hustles and see what we got going on. Specifically, Brett, dude, your strength coach, I think, uh, you know, like you're about 12 years in this game, right? And you've yep. got a few books for us. I know um, I don't know how to read, so text reads them to me. But uh, talk to us about what you're into now, man. Last time we talked on 210, you had a, a facility that was about to launch, and I think that kind of shifted a little bit from what Tex was telling me. Yeah, kind of the vision that shifted there. because it's hard to find people with the requisite hustle. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> the, the bottom line, it seems like you guys can vouch for that. Um, so still first and foremost, you know, strength coach. Um, yeah, so that, that hasn't really changed. So that's your main hustle. It. I'm sorry, that's the main hustle. Yeah, there everything else comes off of that. <laughs> um, initially, we looked at opening a brick and mortar down here in Atlanta. Uh, we had a couple of coaches that had done the collegiate thing, done the pro thing, you know, and, and they liked it, but they you know, I, I feel like you have two factions of strength coaches, right? Ones that are so enamored with that. You'll never get them away from it. They'll do it till the day they die. And then others that just kind of need to get it out of their system and then understand there's, there's other aspects to it. Right. And, and either is right or wrong. It just kind of depends where those, even I'm kind of 50, 50, I could go back to the team someday. If this situation was right. I just say, I'm like, I try to play the John Gruden approach, right? If it's a good situation and it makes sense, I'll roll. Other than that, I want to kind of, create an opportunity for my wife and I where we're not like owned by anybody. Right. And we right. can have a family someday and not feel like we just want to kill ourselves. Um, but yeah. So anyway, we had a friend nearby that said, Hey, don't open a facility. You can use my place and own like he, uh, he runs a huge Catholic high school up the road, that full football stadium, 6,000 square foot weight room. None of it's used half the time. He goes, as long as you're not in when the students are, you, you can use it for this. So uh, we had about 15 guys from the Buffalo Bills this offseason and a couple other teams come on down and do like, you know, offseason training camps. Went up there, it worked perfectly. Uh, didn't have to pay the overhead. And then it works for me because of the consulting and speaking that I do. If I were to get a building and let's call it 10 grand a month for rent, now all of a sudden I'm stapled there. I can't do the consulting, speaking, what have you. So long story short, I just haven't found anybody that really, and I know this sounds bad, that I trust enough and that I think has understands the nuances of being an entrepreneur strength coach, you know, to come in there. You know, we, we've had some great folks before, but I think the minute they learned that it wasn't a $65,000 a year right out of the gate, you know, and all they're going to do is train pro athletes and they're going to be in every magazine. It's like, no, that's, that's not really the, <laughs> the reality of that. So what we did is we made the bridge kind of this um, network entity that right now there's about 15 different strength coaches involved all uh it depends whether they're uh sorry my wife just came in the room so i got distracted 15 strength coaches involved uh team setting and private sector people that want to get uh expand their reach and strength and conditioning either from a consultancy standpoint uh from an online programming standpoint or even just from a, a networking standpoint in general and so that's where the bridge lives right now so for example <clears throat> right now we have a couple of athletes that we support internationally uh, in different, whether it's, whether it's weightlifting or classic, you know, rugby, uh, American football, just basic sports, what have you. But we also have something where let's say 13, uh, a guy calls and says, Hey, you know, I'm Tyler. I want to get into pro basketball. Could you connect me with one of your 13 to 15 coaches in the consultancy and somebody that's appropriate for that. So we've been able to find a way to expand the reach of strength coaches 
that maybe don't want to brand themselves, but want to under operate under kind of this Avengers league, uh, you know, um, brand, so to speak. So we've done that. And cause there's a lot of guys that just, you know, they may be with jobs right now and the, their job can't, they can't let their job know that they want to do that, but they need to make some extra money. I mean, let's face it. How many of you guys know somebody in collegiate strength and conditioning that just barely gets by, right? They're sure, still under, sure. they're in a restricted earnings position or what have you with the bridge guys like that can still get involved in other things, benefit the community and uh, not feel stuck, so to speak. So that's, that's the main format of the bridge right now. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because we've, we've talked to a few guys um, <laughs> who tried to get into, I guess, you know, the, the distance, co- what, what we call our distance coaching or distance education model, right? Um, kind of leveraging tech platforms to push out either programming, coaching, whatever. And um, it's sharp dudes and they fold it. And it's exactly that, man. Like uh, the, how we pulled it off is fucking. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you got to have the ability to see people in person. Yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, I, I think if you <clears throat> if you get into something where you're just pushing out programming and there's no accountability and more importantly, you have no kind of system check where they come in and you put them through or you go to them, that I think it's just kind of a, a failed response. I mean, we've done it on mass schedule, but um, I think there's a pretty good community and, um, you know, the price point works. You know, if you're looking for like hands-on, custom-designed program that's got, you know, feedback, user journey. All yeah, this, that's there's a, a premium to pay there. There's a premium to pay a poor, uh, you know, uh, aside from something where it's like, hey, here's a program. I want you to, you know, here's this jiggy technology that I can kind of monitor you on. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think people look at it like, um, you know, what's the time cost investment and what am I getting out of it? And you just kind of find a middle ground. See, and you hit the nail on the head there. I think, you know, when I first started the bridge, the goal, I mean, eventually at some point I'm going to, I'm going to open up my own brick and mortar just because I want to be that old crusty 65, 70 year old guy that has this gym that is like, you know, some Mickey Rooney type character, boxing gym type place. It just sits in there and, you know, people get, it doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be anything like that. We want it to feel very visceral, stripped down and real. Yeah. That's the Um, end point of the journey, man. I mean, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, but basically I had a guy, he had worked in the NHL 33 years as a head strength coach. And we we met each other at a conference and he goes, so tell me what you're doing now. I go, well, I kind of coach, speak and consult. And he goes, so what's your goal at the end of it all? I go, well, to do what I'm doing now, it just feels weird because I'm 31 and I don't know if I can make that last 30 some odd years. But when you were talking about like what your guys niche has been, the way you've been able to find kind of that online programming, you've made it work, you found those people. I knew right off the bat, like that wasn't going to be where the bridge went. If, if we had a piece of that, cool. And we do have a guy in our network that he likes that stuff. It's certainly not going to be one of our most scalable things. It's just kind of every now and then people reach out or there's a, uh, an athlete that we train that came overseas that still wants to support. So we're not trying to commercialize that, so to speak, like you guys already do that. Awesome. Train heroic does a great job of that. There's so many people that do that. Well, I think where I finally realized my niche was and where this guy helped me understand is he said, you know, from your time in the team setting in the private sector, you seem to have a pretty vast network. Why don't you continue to leverage that in a way that helps other coaches And I had gotten other coaches that once I spoke from Microsoft and Facebook this past summer, you know, at first they had this kind of, uh, have you guys ever heard of the term, the Semmelweis response? Negative. So it's, it's like when people react strongly to something in the face of new information that goes against kind of a public norm, right? So you look at like strength coaches. Like vegans. Yeah. 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 Like vegans. Yeah, Yeah. So like, or if somebody all of a sudden just said, Hey, consuming massive amounts of alcohol, is really good for you. New research found it. Everybody would have this kind of Semmelweis reaction of like, 
No, that there's no way that you know that new information <laughs> I've tried can be that. true. I've yeah, tried no. it doesn't well, work. I think everybody did that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's called so, college. So, so my point was is like at the beginning when I started speaking and, and doing some other things, uh, there was a strong reaction from some strength coaches that were just like, no, we're behind the scenes guys. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, never mind the fact that, you know, Nick Saban's or sport coaches or Navy SEALs like Jocko Willink and all that are all expanding and telling their stories, but strength coaches aren't supposed to. But now a bunch of people have came on board and said like, hey, man, no, that is pretty cool. I would like to take the lessons I've learned as a coach and kind of help more people, not just within the profession, but outside of them. So the bridge gives them an opportunity to do that, too, and uh, kind of leverage those skills. It's legit, man. So Tex, books. Books. All right. So I, I got a couple books here. So one is Conscious Coaching. And the second, I, I pulled off the shelf. So I, I, um, I, I didn't get to travel for Thanksgiving, just hung around, so I had a lot of time. So I went back to the bookshelf, and you posted on Mastery. So know you're a big Robert Greene fan, uh, as we are as well. 48 Laws of Power, and then my personal favorite, Mastery. And so I wanted to get into a, the idea of apprenticeship. So with the bridge and kind of the direction you're taking now, you're providing a lot of coaches the opportunity to take on apprentices or reach reach students of strength that they may not otherwise uh, be connected to. So I want you to kind of uh, dive into the, the apprentice side of things. So I know you've had the opportunity to apprentice, but now as your book continues to get global reach, what is that starting to look like in terms of the value of apprenticeship? Well, again, I mean, I think just following your guys' lead where you find kind of, it takes a few years, sometimes more than a few to find kind of what you think your niche or your contribution in the field is going to be. And, you know, strength and conditioning wise, I always, when I first started off, my goal was, oh, I want to be the best strength coach. I want to, you know, I think I write really good programming. I think I do this, but at the end of the day, like, how do you quantify the legacy that any of that is really going to leave, right? It has value. Like we need to, we need to understand that piece. But I started realizing later on that I think at the end of the day, like I would like to make the biggest improvement in the field of coaching in general, right? Like how strength and conditioning coaches interact and bringing coaching science more to the forefront in less of this commercialized guru, wishy-washy, motivational speaker, high five warmth and empathy standpoint, and more from understand human nature, cut through the bullshit and understand what it means to really connect with somebody. And to your point with mastery, right? Like a lot of that, he talks about ego and how people ranging from Darwin to Benjamin Franklin to some of the world's best had to really strip down to the essence of who they were and lay themselves out bare through that kind of apprenticeship process. Now, I never had a direct mentor. So I think that's always been inveterate in me to want to give that to other people. And I've now just started to find that avenue based on the reaction to the book. You know, the book was just kind of, that was written at a time we talked about in the last talk where everybody was going nuts over sports science. But if you asked a lot of coaches, now they were having people that were really great at data and analytics, but they couldn't coach on the floor without some kind of cue sheet in front of them. Right. So like that book was written as a response of like, yeah, data is important, but let's not forget how to like have some kind of communication and social intelligence to it as well. So from that standpoint, I wanted to really go the coaching education side and kind of be this liaison for, you know, the coaching science, which sometimes, I mean, you guys know in any research it's, they overcomplicate it and then really trying to bridge that gap and help coaches be better practitioners from the art of coaching standpoint as well. So, you know, the book and the apprenticeship and everything that we're trying to offer is just trying to help make people better coaches, because if we get that and you compare it with really fucking good programming, 
then that's what the field of strength and conditioning should be. But this idea that people just continue to argue about front squat versus back squat or this versus that, you know, like this is what's fun about coaching techs. Coaching. Have you ever read the book team of teams? No. All right. So like general Stanley McChrystal, what'd you say? I said homework for text. Yeah. So like the gist of it is similar. I'll give you the gist. General Stanley McChrystal talks about why the United States military got their ass kicked by Al Qaeda and the Taliban and everything for so long. Cause we were using kind of this 19th, 20th, 19th century and 20th century fighting style and bringing it into this new age of network. Right? Yeah. This like, is the castles where they're building castles and all this. Like, is right. this where they're, yeah. yeah and they're yeah, like, so, like creating castles and then uh, um, like giving targets and all that other shit. They thought they were going to go out and win the hearts and minds. Well, and, like, and to that point, like, so we're, we're coming in and we have better arms, better technology, but these guys aren't fighting by our rules, right? You have separate factions that are highly networked, adaptive, strategic, or what have you. And the gist is, is coaching's that same way. You can't go into coaching with some kind of reductionistic script. It's not like when you're training, like if we're training, right? Like you guys are writing a program and hypertrophy is a main goal. We know that there's several different formulas that we can help you with, that we can program in order for people to achieve hypertrophy, whether you're doing classic five by five or three to five sets of six to 12, depending on, you know, whatever we know intensities, human interaction doesn't work that same way because everybody's got social agendas, right? Like coaching is a mix between politics, pedagogy, and social science. And I just don't think anybody's presented it in that kind of a real light. I think they've always tried to oversimplify it, as I said, in terms of making it this wishy-washy thing. So everything I'm trying to develop now is putting coaching in its proper context, helping people understand that to be a better coach, you have to be adaptable. You have to be uh, able to uh, deal with unpredictability and you have to know how to bullshit essentially with a wide range of people and deal with conflict. Cause how, I, I'm sure I could get John on a rant, right? Like think about our society Dude. and how we deal with conflict now. It's embarrassing. Uh, hide, and then we have, hide. <clears throat> no, and not only that, we have no, coaches that like, well, what's, what's kind of struck me strange lately is the fact that uh, nobody else can have any other view other than yours. And if you do, it's like fucking uh, scorched earth. You know, like right. oh, you, you believe this, I believe this instead of coming together as rational people and having like a conversation, it's like instantly like uh, you're a you know, white supremacist, you're a racist, you're this. I mean, it's like these labels mm-hmm. and it's, um, it, it's a fucking weird deal. Cause I think people have lost the interaction of talking on the phone or, or meeting 100%. a person and uh, it's just these fucking inflammatory responses. So people look and say on the internet, the person that escalates shit the fastest is usually the winner. Which is like yep. a, bar, a bar fight to some extent. Like if fucking you're in a bar fight, you better haul off and hit that motherfucker and hit him with everything. Because there's no, you know, it's the same thing on the internet. People just fucking go uh, full tilt and we don't really see what happens. And it's like uh, just on anything. And I and dude, we've got this for years and I always send people back these somewhat thought out, you know, emails where I basically dissect their argument. And I'm like, yeah, now that we've, you know, uh, identified the argument, talked about the different pieces of it, let's actually have a decent conversation that I could potentially learn something. And they never respond. Mm-hmm. Because people Never. are so emotionally based, dude. So my my old man was talking about this, and he's seventy. He's a dentist, and uh, one of his patients was like, "The you know, I don't fucking know what the, how they got on this." He's a crotchety old man, and she said something along the lines of gun control. You know, there's too many guns out there. You know, and she started to put three hundred million. So she started spot off, uh, kind of the, this, uh, you know. <laughs> a lot of gun control rhetoric that is kind of like the scare tactic. And, uh, you know, my dad just said, uh, that's not how it works. And she's like, Oh really? He's like, yeah. Cause the gun in my desk hasn't harmed anybody. 
since I've bought it. She's like, oh, you have guns? You know, and it just came to this gun control talk. I get this all the time, yeah. And then it uh, went back and forth. But he's like, you know what was fucking crazy? He's like, I I had a 15-minute conversation, and we both learned something. You know, and no one escalated into name calling or like, you know, defensive mode. But this gal walked away with a new perspective. My old man did on how to talk with folks like that. And he's like, I can't believe that happened. He thought it was like a major win for humanity that he had this like this two way conversation that didn't turn into a bitch fest. Well, I mean, we've also lost the idea of social responsibility where, you know, you should be able to take care of you. And, you know, the government is not there to tell me what to do. And uh, but that's my libertarian views. Um, the one thing that I was thinking when you were uh, talking about this coaching deal, I always thought coaching was really interesting because you have two types of athletes. You have guys that are uh, well, actually three types. You either have guys that are really switched on that are there to say, hey, you know what? I just want to be the best. You know, tell me what to do. You have other guys that are think they're switched on and are usually kind of, uh, you know, I guess you could say, um, not always very responsive to what you're doing and they want to question everything. So they seem, uh, seem like smart. a skeptic. Yeah. Like, I mean, cause I remember all the time being like uh, guys questioning shit. I'm like, what the fuck are you questioning this for? Like, uh, you know, but these are the same guys that would go on and question a play in this. And I'm like, dude, not every play is going to go for a uh, touchdown, you know, like just go out and run the plays. Like I, I could care less what the offensive coordinator's doing, but then you also have guys that are legitimately fucking stupid. <laughs> And uh, I remember working with guys, or more importantly, when I played, guys that weren't very intelligent. And you know what? They kind of fell into like, they didn't really disagree, but they didn't really agree with anything because they didn't really have the capacity and they had never really sunk themselves in because they were so genetically gifted. They just happened to be there. And, um, you know, it was always interesting. And I remember, you know, working with, you know, Tom Canavy and, you know, Mike Wolf and, you know, Jeff Hurd and like all these different strain coaches being like, it's really nice to, to coach you for the mere fact that um, you ask interesting questions. And we have great dialogue and, uh, you know, there's never a point where you're not going to do the training, but it's just like you're interested in increasing your knowledge base and it keeps me on my toes. And I was like, thank you. That was a, right. a good deal. And, no. and for me like that, and they were always guys that I could go to if I needed something. And uh, I just always wonder why, you know, guys are so uh, kind of, and, and it, is it ego, but uh, people run into this kind of like, uh, you know, I have to question everything or this person doesn't know or this and being like, dude, he's here, uh, you know, as an expert, man, you should probably listen to him. Um, you know, your high school strength coach who, uh, you know, also sells insurance might not be as high level as this guy, but he could. So, you know what, let's have an interesting conversation. And I never had a strength coach ever dismiss anything I was doing. They just wanted to know like, Hey, how does everything fit? What's my system? And then you basically sit together and you come up with something you want to do. And, and, that, and that's a an process, issue. right? And like my whole argument now is I don't think the coaching side of it, and this isn't meant to be disrespectful. Like, I mean, it's just the bottom line. I don't think the coaching side of it is as easy as the training side of it. You know, like I think that all of us could sit down and teach, let's say 20 people walked in the room. I would, I'd be confident that the four of us could sit down and teach them some of the basic tenets of programming enough to get them dangerous with it, you know, and like them practicing in what have you, even somebody that didn't know it within a week. Now, if we're getting somebody ready for an Olympic quadrennial cycle or something like that, that's a different nuance, right? Or if you're trying to teach them different models of undulating or the nuances of conjugate, but I'm talking about the, the vast majority of people that write about, you know, floating periodization models or some other nuance, like half that shit's not getting used, right? Like periodization isn't as hard as people make it. Strength coaches just get bored. Strength coaches get bored and they seek complexity. But here's the issue. They try to make something that's complicated, which is programming complex. And things that are complicated are not the same that are complex, right? Like knowing when the next solar eclipse comes and manufacturing, those things are complicated. But by and large, they can relate to kind of 
an algebraic formula or Newtonian physics. Dealing with uh, economics, right? Like thinking about, hey, what does the price of wheat depend on? Or trying to predict the weather. Those fucking things are complex because the price of wheat is not only dependent on harvest, it depends on shipping rates to China. It depends on the economy there. Oh, and if something happens to one economy, it has this cascade effect to other economies. That's social dynamics is complex, right? Training is complicated. It's not what's more important. People love to make this argument, right? They love to say, well, are you saying that with your book that, you know, this stuff's more important than the science? And I go, nope. As a matter of fact, that's why I wrote the book. In the very first part of that introduction, I'm not making an argument for or against one or the other. Like the idea of a conscious coach is having an awareness that all these things are important. I'm just saying, I think the coaching science side has been bastardized, reductionist, and looked at as a reductionist view, and it's not as easy as everybody thinks. That's why I did the archetypes. I mean, think about what John just said about the three different kinds of athletes, right? Like we, we scaled out 16 different types of athletes and we had 16 different strength coaches talk about those and they were a big hit with people, which is cool. But you also have to understand text. Like, let's say you're a Wolverine. Well, you're not always a fucking Wolverine, right? Like, so like pretty environments, hairy. he's pretty, hairy. what'd you say? He's, he's pretty hairy. But like the environment's going to change that other factors are going to change that. So what started being problematic is when people are like, Hey, I have an athlete and he's like the skeptic and another one that's like the Royal. And I'm like, well, how do you know that? Because people don't fit personality traits don't fit into a vacuum. You know, what, what behaviors do you think you're witnessing? And does that fit in with your own bias? Cause most coaches just see things they want to see. If an athlete comes in and says, I don't really like to lift heavy. Most strength coaches are like, Oh, you're soft. No, the fucking guy might not like to lift heavy because maybe he had a severe injury that, you know, was the result of bad coaching and somebody not paying attention when he was in the weight room. So then he hates, it's not lifting heavy, he hates, it's bad fucking coaching, you know? And so I just think people don't study this stuff enough because bias, heuristics, decision-making, and they underplay how complex. So listen, this is the last thing I'll say on this rant. There's a reason the Nobel Prize just went to a guy that studies behavioral economics. Just went to a guy that studies behavioral economics. Like people are fucking goofy. And it's not easy to figure them out. Um, and so I'm trying to shed light on that. It's not because I'm bored of training or coaching. I still coach. I still write programs. I just happen to think this stuff is interesting. Just like Lauren Landau thinks agility is interesting, right? Like I, I went down that rabbit hole. I love that stuff. But right now, this is what I'm focused on. Doesn't mean I'll be focused on it in the next 20 years. But right now, this is what I really want to like have a mission towards because I think it's lacking. So was there a trigger event that, that shifted your focus? I mean, was there yeah, that I mean, that I one think to guy? be honest, I just gorged myself on all the training stuff so much, you know, mm-hmm. like in, uh, being Burned in the out. collegiate, yeah, just being in the collegiate setting. I mean, you'd read everything you could, right? Like everybody's passing the same books on periodization around. Then this new book on agility comes around. Then this new book on this. So you read all these books and you coach a shit ton. And then you realize half of those books, like some of it's good. Some of it's just the same thing said in different ways. And then a whole lot of it isn't applicable. Mm-hmm. So I think if you just coach enough, you'll realize that half the stuff being touted is like the next best thing. And John, how many things have you seen come and go now in your years of the industry? Like oh, how much like of it come is and really go and come Oh, dude, I, I still laugh at all this stuff where people are like, oh, this is it. This is the deal. I remember, uh, uh, you know, Jared Allen goes out to L.A. and uh, hangs out with a mutual friends of ours. And next thing you know, it's MMA <laughs> fighting. You know, right. every, every football player's got to do MMA fighting in the off season. And uh, they asked me and I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree. I mean, you should work on your hand speed. You should do these things. But, um, you know, just going in and thinking you're going to fucking ground and pound for three minutes with a guy and that's for your training. 
uh, like that's incomplete to me. Um, you know, the other big one was like the uh, f- um, FMS, you know, <laughs> FMS every week. You got to do the FMS, FMS. And I remember being like, uh, dude, uh, we, I mean, uh, it just, uh, it, it's interesting where people get really hot on these deals. And, um, you know, and then you always go back to, at least I do, what never got easy. The weights never got light. And running, yep. and running never got easy. I was like, sprinting. Yeah, I mean, dude, like I can go out and sprint, and it, and I never run fast enough. It's never fucking easy, and the weights are always heavy. So I think like uh, we did battling ropes one time, and I remember I was pretty, t- pretty tapped out. And then the second time we did it, I did it for like forty minutes straight, and I was like, this is fucking lame. And I remember thinking like, if I can, if I can accommodate or adjust or figure out a movement plan to make something fairly uh, easy that quickly then you know what, that isn't what I need to do. And I always look for the things that never got fucking easy. The weights never got light and the sprinting never got easy. So I figured those were good places to start. And Luke, to answer your question, you know, yeah, there were a few events that, you know, that came there, you know, one was one year I was looking for, well, one, let's look at social media, right? Like what are the, what are the primary arguments? Like people are always passing along a new article. They're arguing about this. Like it just became an echo chamber. You'd go to conferences, social media, what have you, and you'd see the same things. What drills best for speed development? What drills best for this? What uh, periodization schemes best for that? And in the meantime, <clears throat> we'd have people going through these mentorships at Exos or what have you that they could sit there and regurgitate all this stuff. But when it t- came time to coach, they couldn't coach. And you just sit there and you think like, what are we doing? It's because you know mistaken I mean? doesn't we- teach people how to lift weights. <laughs> you're just sitting there like what do we what do we you know and and then you'd go to uh no matter what the conference was you'd get up and a speaker would come up and say at our program we believe in the hang clean the hang cleans you know and it's just like dude like no shit you know what i mean so i just felt like people were kind of reveling in this stuff and then the final thing was you know i had asked a group of athletes that i had one year we, we probably had about 35 nfl guys in the off season and i was i wasn't fishing for compliments i was actually looking for feedback and we had had a lot of success that year because I think 78 guys total came in the, that off season. And I just said, hey, why do you come to me like no bullshit? And the guys were like, you know, we like your programming and stuff like that. That's a good part of it. I go, I know, but like other people do great programming too, right? Like I'm not disillusioned. I don't think that like it, it's tough to win the programming awards. Like if you're doing the basics pretty fucking well, like, you know what I mean? Like, so I go, what else? And he goes, man, it's just the way you explain stuff. Well, and, and you're I in Atlanta, right? Uh, where were you in Atlanta? This was Phoenix at the time. Oh, this is Phoenix. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so I just started An- realizing. Another great you know, hotbed for NFL players. Right. And, you know, yeah. Well, that's Atlanta. the big reason why we moved to Atlanta too. And um, the, the other thing was, think about this, right? People will argue, let's say we're programming something at 82%. And then you see somebody else's chart and they're like, no, you know, we actually tend to program, you know, at 80, we think it's 84%. And then somebody's like, no, uh, we actually go 81.5. And you're like, first of all, how the fuck do you know your athlete is even doing that? Like just because you have the percentage there and you perceive strain on their end, you think they care about that weight as much as you do. They don't. So I realized to me, the Holy grail is engagement, like getting athletes to care about training at that level, right? Because a guy can loaf through his percentages because percentages are a reflection of their, you know, their max or their training. Even if you do auto regulatory means the kid could loaf it, right? Like people, People are only going to go as hard as they want to push themselves, bottom line. And so I just feel like everything comes down to human behavior. Everything comes down to getting people to understand. And there's been so many, I talk about in one of my presentations and text, you'll like this because you're weird. Uh, there used to be, you like weird facts, I can tell. So there used to be a, um, in Ghana, a disease called guinea worm disease. 
and it affected 35, over 35 million people, 35 million cases in 1986, right? By 2015, guess how many cases that 35 million dropped down to? Zero. 25. 25 cases. 99.9% reduction in 31 years. And you know why? Now, keep in mind, there, this disease, there's no cure. To this day, there's no cure. There's no vaccine. And there's no, like, there's no miracle drug at all. Guess how they, guess how they treated it? Wash your hands. Not, not too far from the truth. So the parasite, the parasite, yeah. So the parasite was spread through uh, non-potable drinking water, contaminated drinking water, right? But what would happen is when this worm, and this worm would grow up to three feet in length when it was fully, like fully grown, when it was ready to get ejected out of your body, it would create this burning sensation under the skin literally like hand over flame burning sensation. So these people would run out to the water, the same contaminated water in which they were drinking, right? To relieve the burning sensation, the parasite, that's what it needed to activate at full form would burst out of its skin, lay more larvae or eggs and shit like that in the water. And it would just begin a cycle. So long story short, a guy came in and goes, listen, right now, the only way we can treat this is literally to cut it out of you, or keep you from getting it. Let's educate people on how they should not drink the water. And not only that, uh, if they do drink the water, if they feel this burning sensation, don't go into the water. So we went in and gave them some alternative kind of ways that they could get around that. And literally just through making sure that people knew, oh, I feel like I'm burning, don't go in the fucking water. They literally were able to take it from 35 million cases to 22 cases in 31 years. And they interviewed him and he goes, they go, how'd you do this? And he goes, not everything is about some miracle drug. Every single issue in this world is a behavior issue. It all comes down to understanding behavior. And I just, I think that's true. Yeah, man. I mean, it couldn't be more spot on, I guess, because you, <clears throat> I'm getting peppered with fucking nutrition questions by family, right? Like for the, the magical, the magical <laughs> diet, right? And it's, it's a hundred percent behavioral. Stop eating a fucking coffee cake every morning for breakfast <laughs> and like donuts and snacking on goddamn Doritos, you know, change your behavior. And it's, it is kind of that simple, right? Here's, here's the, here's like the soundbite. If you wanted one with it is coaching is chess, not checkers. They say after 20 moves, if we're playing chess and let's say we've made a collective 20 moves over 120 million movement combinations still exist. And they say that literally, even if you had two computers playing against each other, by the end of time, they would never play the same game of chess because mm -hmm. of the interdependence between the pieces on the board and how they change based on their reactions and decisions. So that's just like anybody. If John and I are negotiating something, right? Let's say I want to buy the gym. There's so many things that go into that before and that don't even pertain to the numbers, right? Like what he wants to make out of it, all those things like there are so many different agendas that we have to uncode before we decide what angle we want to take. And then the minute they come at you with one other angle that shifts everything. So because of this shifting landscape, you know, I just chess coaching is chess, not checkers because that's how relationships are. Mm -hmm. So within uh, kind of going back to the mastery and then I, I heard it throughout your kind of answering the last few questions he talks about three stages three modes so we have the passive mode the, the practice mode and the active mode and i think a lot of coaches they want to jump immediately into the active modes and they they neglect the the passive and the practice but i think from jumping to that active that's when the guys get bored that's when they try to get too jinky with it versus understanding through observation through kind of the coaching skill acquisition 
that the when you apply when you get into the active mode it's all about the fundamentals all about the uh, the mundane but again like you said chess it comes down to each piece has a specific move and then it's like a different coaching strategy uh, kind of combined with these mundane moves that a, a chess piece can make that's when the really the the magic happens in the strategy and the the you know um, and what you put in here in uh, your field guide uh, nothing beats applied strategy right we Good all morning. know how to play chess here but how you use those pieces that's really going to be the the magic within coaching yeah and strength and conditioning has caused its own problems right like with the way that we with the way the field is devalued and yeah i don't care what strength co every strength coach will say oh i'm not in it for the money uh yeah but you're also not in it to be poor like you have a job to support your family right like i love how money has been villainized like demonized in strength and conditioning like none of us got in it for the money but they act like they act like getting a good job or expanding reach is a bad thing. So here's the problem, right? To your point, people jump those stages of mastery because most strength coaches are starving, right? Like, and I'm not saying that like lightly, like I'm self-employed. If I decide to stop coaching today, my family and I don't pay the rent, you know, and I, I know people think that writing a book makes you a millionaire. Trust me, it doesn't. I'll be very candid. That book cost me over $20,000 that I did not have to write. You know, like I had to take out a loan to get part of that finished. So it's funny when people will reach out and they'll be like, hey, can I get like 50 free copies? I'm like, dude, like, and they're like, what, you you made all this money now? I'm like, the money I made from that book allowed me and my family to move out of LA from a bad position to get to where we're at now, you know? And, but like, it takes patience and mistakes and picking moves and, you know, like just being able to kind of see the long game in order for those things to happen. And I, it's hard for coaches because we've created this narrative that you're only taken seriously as a strength coach if you work in the team setting. And so you better suffer and do this and do that and just keep your mouth shut because this is a field that, you know, isn't glorified. But again, how many, how many sport coaches do you think get on each other? Like, let's see what were the, I think John, what was it? The 12th firing just occurred in the NCAA now that Arizona state let go of their head coach. Okay, so let's say one of those coaches gets um, here. Here's one. Matt Campbell from Iowa State's got a nine million dollar buyout. So let's say a, co a team wants him, right? And they they pay they they figure out a way to get around his buyout, and he signs a contract for five million dollars, right? And what does Nick Saban get paid? Seven million. What's funny to me is you think all those sport coaches sit around in a circle and are like, Ugh, Matt Campbell got five million dollars and seven. You know, Coach Saban gets this, and they just whine and complain like in strength and conditioning if somebody got money like that or anything like that, instead of people being like, Oh my God, they just raised the ceiling for the profession. Like there's a whole new kind of, you know, now people are like, Oh, sell out. Like people in our field don't want people to do well. And so coaches, it's hard for them to progress through any stage of mastery because other than doing it from a technical standpoint, right. If they do progress anywhere else in their career, they have to get ready for any kind of like, you know, I don't want to use the term haters because I hate that, but they have to get ready for any kind of just like, little power mongers in the background, you know, bitter or jealous about those kinds of things. We have a deeply insecure field. Strength and conditioning is, I mean, think about most of the people that get in it, right? Like we all were probably with the exception of John and I don't know much about your playing history. So like, but like uh, we're it, all, it, I peaked at like 17 years old. There you go. That's so we're I all peaked. like, we're all average to slightly above average athletes that like tried to find an edge and that edge was lifting weights. Right. So a lot of our identity is tied up in, how we work, how much work we put in, outworking the other person, which is great. But like in the early 1800s, 
the credibility of a doctor, this is not a joke, the credibility of a doctor was partially gauged by how much blood and guts and everything he had on his coat. Because if he had a bunch of blood and guts and everything on his coat, guess what? That doctor was busy. And I feel like that's a perfect analogy for how strength and conditioning has gotten. Like you're only true to this field and you're only true to this game and you're only true to this craft and you're only a true strength coach. If you like just whittle yourself away to no end. So that's why I think it's gotten so dicey with the stages of mastery is we have a bunch of people running around just mimicking other strength coaches. They deem that they think are successful. These coaches don't know who they are as individuals. They just mimic their mentors. And so uh, Luke and I got a, uh, a buddy that sent us, I guess, an article that was posted and a, it, it was a, a strength coach out there kind of ripped his sleeves off his T-shirt. Yeah, Northwestern. Doing, yeah, doing push-ups and pull-ups and getting his guys all rowdy. And I'm sitting here thinking like, this is what I guess the, the younger generation is going to see. They're going to see, oh, this guy made it to, I guess, on the Internet. This is what I need to become and be versus, you know, understanding the basics, the mundane or the, the application. So... Uh, I was trying to think of a, like a, a, I think it was, it was Batman. It was, I think it was Batman Begins, the first one. No, Batman's the first one, but go on. Well, Batman Begins, the first one of the Nolan. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my trilogy. I'm a, I'm a Nolan Batman guy, but uh, he throws a card down at the end, like Joker's, Joker, Joker's calling card. Mm-hmm. And it was like this revelation of, oh, well you, you're wearing a mask. So the, the criminals that we're going to start to see are going to get weirder and weirder. So if this guy's being the ultimate hype man, well, then coaches are going to have to start out doing it or Level thinking up. that they have to outdo him versus just, I don't know, investing more in coaching. But I'm seeing that and like, is this what we become? Like that Luke and I's buddies are so excited and pumped up for our careers that they're sending us this guy, this guy's link. I don't know. Like uh, right now it is because people, again, they've devalued. I think the value of a strength coach has not been recognized. You know, people still see us as just kind of hyped up gym teacher, whistleblowing, you know, guys that like to lift weights. You're going to tell me that's the primary value of a strength coach, you know, like, and, and you're taught, I mean, listen, I'm from Nebraska. I know you guys don't see me in person, but I love lifting weights. I love chalk. Like, I got a pretty nasty garage gym and I put on stuff that would make my mom cry and just get after it. But like, I don't think that that is our only value. And maybe I'm just disillusioned. Cause again, I see people like, and no matter what anybody think of it, but I see like people like Jocko Willink who went on to do other things. You see sport coaches get out and do other things. You see people from every profession go out and do other things, right? Like you even see six figure financial analysts that get tired of their job and go on and find another job that, you know, can make a bigger difference. Like things can be scalable. I just think coaches have a responsibility to share the wisdom and knowledge that they get from interacting with people, solving problems and dealing with conflict. I think that's strength and conditioning. Like training is just a tool to teach other people like our athletes or clients, what they're, what they're capable of. And of course, to enhance performance, but we all know in the role of team sport, the strength coaches role, like is very fuzzy in team sport. You can have the best strength coach in the world at a team. That's not going to translate into wins and losses. They can screw things up for you for sure. But we all know great strength coaches that have been at really shitty teams because it's not like you're going to make that person a better football player. You're just going to make them either a faster, stronger, shitty football player, you know, that they are. And so, again, I just think it's gotten mixed up because people fit this archetype of what a strength coach they think it is, and they devalue the field by doing that. Does that make sense or am I talking gibberish? No, you're not, man. I mean, what you're reinforcing the earlier conversation about the complexity of behavioral identity and the dynamic between all the variables of 
it's not one to one. It's not necessarily causation uh, and staying within the bounds of just kind of, um, you know, I'm trying to think how we described it. The basic shit is going to get you a long way. But at the end of the day, you have to integrate into the system, right? Yeah, that and just like, don't be afraid to expand what you do. I mean, mm-hmm. think of what you are like. Uh, if you guys think of the service that you offer, how many clients do you have roughly? Uh, 2,500. Okay. And would you say that your programming, like the sole value it provides in their life is just the physical alterations? Right. No. No. Bottom line. And that's not like, again, that's not motive. That's not saying, oh, I'm changing their life and this and that, like motivation and guru and this and that. It's just saying the bottom line, like coach means something. And it means something a hell of a lot more than what we make it mean half the time. And that's why coach development is hurting because we've negated the process of coaching. We've, we've commercialized or sensationalized text, your example, like what strength and conditioning is instead of just keeping like honoring the bare roots of it, right? It's a way to make yourself better. And coaching is like, as a coach, you're a guide, like you're a mentor, but now it's become all about those people, you know? And it's, it's just such a weird field that because, you know, on the private side, if you share you're self promoting, if you hide, you're like, or if you don't share, you're hiding. You know what I mean? On the team side, there's, there's no win either because you could do a great job and still get fired after three years. My friends at Nebraska are going to get let go just because Mike Riley's gone now. And they were great strength coaches, you know? And so what I think coaching needs to evolve to is not only understanding the behavioral side as well as training, but coaches have to get smarter at business and understanding like how to expand what they do. Otherwise, we're never going to, who's going to take us seriously. The NCAA already doesn't they're, they're doing a full scale investigation after all the shit this past summer about how strength coaches are certified and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. Like I think now more than ever coaches have to understand, like it's not so much about building a brand as it is finding your voice and scaling what you do. If you want to survive long-term and help the field, but that's, that's my opinion. I'm with you, but I mean, uh... That's not the population that exists. It, but here, let me also, well, let me preface, okay, listen, uh, I live vicariously through guys like you, Brett, and especially techs who are out there uh, integrating with these coaches because I, I, I wouldn't say my main hustle is being a coach. Uh, my main hustle is kind of building the platform, helping build the platform where we can start to empower and build the types of coaches you're talking about because – like you said, man, try to find try to find that entrepreneurial mindset to help you run your gym out there in Atlanta, you know, and then just moving out and working with John at Balboa. Uh, try to find a fucking just reliable standard, just coach who might have that seed that you can foster and water and to be a leader in in an organization in this industry. That mentality doesn't really exist. I shouldn't say that it's hard to come by. Well, just because nobody's nobody's really done it yet. I, I would yeah. say it wasn't really until like Ron McKeever yeah. started talking about CEO strength coach right. and some other things that people really started. But even then, people still want to fight it. Right. That's still that Semmelweis response that I was or reflex that I was telling you about where like people that, that stuff's polarizing. People are like, oh, no, like but that's just because nobody's ever showed them that way. Right. Like what it's meant to be a successful strength coach has always just been people think, oh, if I get to the NFL, I'm a great strength coach. Or if I get to this university, I'm a great strength coach. How about if you have some semblance of a legacy and you build autonomy? We were joking before we got on air. I have a completely new vision, right? And I say, people go, what are you doing now? I go, I want to be the John Gruden of strength and conditioning. And I say that completely tongue in cheek, but the reality is, is John Gruden's a hell of a coach, right? Like he could step into the game today and still do it as well as he wanted to. But he realized that 
the coaching field is kind of jacked up. So what has he done? He's created other avenues for himself and his family. And he's patient. He, he says it every year. He's like, I'll get back into coaching in this realm or that realm, the, when, when the time is right. You know what I mean? And for me, like I'm still coaching, but what I'm saying is I always get asked like, when are you going to go to the team setting? When are you going to do this? I'm like, I'll do that if it makes sense for me and my family. Mm-hmm. But the last two offers that have came for the team setting have been at the expense of people saying, Hey, there's either no more talking about the book. If you take this job or there's no more speaking. And to me, like just right now, that doesn't jive with what I want to do. And that rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't put three years of my life into that book so I can be, and, and where else would that happen? If John was a lawyer or you were a lawyer, Luke, and you wrote a book, right. Or you did something else or what would that work against you? All of a sudden you couldn't be partner because you wrote a book. So that's why that's where this rant comes from. Like in my experience, and, and Ron and I have talked about this. It almost seems like in a strength coach, as a strength coach, the more you do, the more it works against you, right? Like having a strong personality will work against you. If you write a book, you're a celebrity. If you're on Instagram, oh my gosh, now you're this. Like our field has to get by that because you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I outwork everybody. We spend more time with athletes than anybody else, but we're broke and we're devalued. And then people that go out and try to get value, they're like, oh, they're sellouts. They're not real coaches, you can stand in a garage for 25 years. That doesn't make you a fucking automobile, you know? And so I, coaches just don't think uh, they tend to be a little bit more emotional than they are rational sometimes. And uh, a big part of your book, you talk about self-awareness. And I think that it's a lack of self-awareness that these coaches are going into and looping in motivation 3.0. So AMP, um, what AMP uh, autonomy um, mastery, mastery and, purpose. and purpose. There we go. So I feel that these coaches by saying these things are lacking those three, because if you are self-aware and you've established a goal or even if it's for your team or your athletes, you're still working towards accomplishing that goal. But if you're too busy about worrying about what the other side is doing, that's taking away, that takes away from your own autonomy, your own mastery. And really you have no purpose. If your purpose is, you know, just to basically have a job, then I don't think you're going to be successful at that position or that job. So again, I, maybe the first step is becoming self-aware or that's what, that's what yeah. a lot of guys do text. And you know that like a lot of guys will get a job and they affiliate, like their identity becomes that university or that team or that job. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that's, and really they'll, they'll get, you ask them why they do it. And that their conference answer will be, you know, this is like coach clinic speak. They'll be like, Oh, to make a difference. What the fuck does that mean? You know, what does that look like? And so that's why in the book, I mentioned the three stages of internal identification. Like I got to that point where I was criticizing myself. I was in a Denver airport, you know, I was going home for the holidays and I was just like, I was desperate for some kind of professional feedback. So I just started grilling myself. I was like, dude, it's time to check like the direction you're going. Cause I was starting to feel a little burnout. I was starting to feel all these things. So I just started asking myself questions and not letting me answer any of them with BS, like surface level responses. And I was like, fuck, like, this actually helped me a lot. It helped kind of carve out a new path and, and help bring clarity. I'm still, I still do it. You know, every year I go through it again and I just don't allow myself because we don't, de- we demand that we don't have bullshit from other people yet. We let ourselves get by with that. And that's not Tony Robbins shit. Like, that's just real. Like we're most protective about our own bias than anything else. Like there's a funny thing in the social science research called the fundamental attribution error. So let's imagine you guys are driving, right? Like you have an appointment and uh, it's in 10 minutes and your fucking way says it's going to be 15 minutes to get there. So you'll start speeding, right? You'll start going quicker. And then, uh, but if somebody sees you speeding, 
you tend to rationalize why you're behaving that way with a situation problem. I'm late for an appointment. Now, let's say you see somebody else speeding. What do you tend to say about that person? Who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, is he crazy? What's... So we rationalize our own behavior with situation causes, but other people's behavior with people causes. It's it's because they're crazy or it's because they're lazy or it's because they're this, where for us, we like insulate ourselves. So that part of the book just speaks to like getting past that and recognizing it. And that's what the course is going to go into too. The course coming out next year is going to dive a little bit more deeply into that as much as it can. Um, we've had to shave off a bit of content because, as you know, it's hard to make everybody happy and you tend to go into things a little bit too ambitious sometimes. <laughs> and then you're like, well, maybe this is a little bit too much. So so what's the strategy to help people find, uh, I guess, you know, the term, John, you dropped this years ago. It's like people just need to fucking find North, you know, find their North star, find them, you know, do North. And then from there, like, I guess where you are, who you are, right. Can you like, I feel there's gotta be a desperation that overcomes someone before they take that, that point. But people just fucking get stuck in the ruts and think this well, is how it's know supposed who to they be. Are. I mean, that's, yeah. weird, I mean, I was watching a deal today where um, they were having transgender come into schools and educate people on being transgender. And I'm thinking to myself, these like, you know, three, five year old kids are learning about this. I don't know if I want them to learn about that from, from somebody else. I'd like to talk to them about it. John, I'm not yeah. bullshitting when I say this. I, I'm getting ready to put the book on Audible, and I wish I, I would totally have you read the book every time you talk. Just like not only with the the tone of your voice, but just the the inflections and like the attitude in it, man. Like if if you weren't like busy building an empire there, I totally would have reached no, out. No, you to got you. time, bro. Yeah, are yeah, you I'll, fucking? I'll totally figure are, it out. John needs another side hustle. Yeah, we're de- <laughs> we need you double digit the best time. fucking uh, audiobook reader for like a no nonsense, straightforward book like ever. But, Here's what we got to put in the contract, though, Brett, as John's advice. Uh, uh, what am I? A middleman. Uh, nobody um, knows. He gets to go on whatever rants he wants at whatever time, and you got to no, keep no, it I'd in. I'd be fine with it. <laughs> Footnotes. Like, what the fuck is Bartholomew talking about? You hang on. This reminds me of the time I was with fucking uh, Tommy Lee playing golf. He's right. I think, that was a true I think story. there's four, I, like, and we're going into this on the course because um, I think that there's really a kind of four primary ways that people figure that out, right? Like, one, like identify the problem, like what problem are you really trying to solve? And sometimes you are the problem, but just follow my logic here, right? Sure. Two, then identify the landscape. Now, this sounds like a lot like just classical military theory, right? Like what's the problem? What's the geography? Like what are we dealing with here? Knowing yourself and then knowing the enemy. So from a coaching science standpoint, we talk about the problem. Okay, art of coaching has been bastardized. People have confused things that are complex with things that are complicated, People think that art of coaching just means a sing-songy, warm, empathy kind of bullshit, when in reality, there's a lot more science behind adaptability and, and behavior than that. So then the landscape is that, right? Like how we go about solving that problem is let's learn more about what influences people, right? Like emotionally, rationally, what are all the things that influence behavior? And then finally, okay, that doesn't do you any good unless you know yourself, because you can know everything that influences behavior. But if you don't know anything about yourself as an influencer, right? Your strengths, your weaknesses, your fears, all these pieces, it's not going to matter, right? Like it's like having a really nice gym, but not knowing how to teach any of the lifts. And then finally knowing, knowing kind of the, the athletes that you're working with or knowing the enemy, so to speak. And so I just think people not being able to strip these things apart and understand how to operationalize a process because it takes work and it's just easier being kind of the way we are and trying to solve things through, just using persistence and energy. Cause that's, that's what we're taught as coaches, right? Like 
persistence and energy solves most things. Well, yeah, unless you're doing the wrong fucking thing. Mm -hmm. And then persistence and energy is just going to take you down a deeper rabbit hole. So that's kind of how we're trying to organize that. I say we're like, I'm doing it with a militia. It's, it's me and then the people shooting the course. Um, it's been a pretty painstaking process, almost like building a business itself. Um, but anyway, that's, that's my take on that. So what's the, I mean, what is the conceptually I understand, uh, but like what, what would the perceived outcome be for someone who gets woke? I don't know. Yeah, like a, create, creating a new coaching oh model, God. right? So like different coaching models exist out there specifically like the uh, transformational coaching model, right? Mm-hmm. Which speaks to a lot of this kind of ideology of servant based leadership. Mm-hmm. And that's currently the most popular kind of ideology. Like, Hey, as a coach, you're a servant based leader, our jobs to help guide and this and that. But a lot of the research says that that's not the case really there's, and I mentioned this in conscious coaching, there's what's called dark-sided tactics, right? And research backs this, like tier one journal-based research that shows, no, actually people and coaches that are able to leverage more Machiavellian traits and even aspects of psychopathy, narcissism, all at subclinical levels, right? Like, and I'll explain this in a minute, are tend to be more effective leaders when dealing with sociopolitical landscapes than these servant-based transformational guru-type leaders, And they looked at the world of sport. They looked at rugby league, rugby union, premiership soccer, all these kinds of things. And they find to influence athletes in today's day and age, you have to be a little bit Machiavellian. Now, what I mean by behaviors versus traits is if a a trait is a stable disposition, right? So that's kind of who you are. If you're generous, you're always generous. That's a trait. If you're a narcissist, you're always a narcissist asshole. A behavior is like a scaled back version of that deployed strategically, mm-hmm. right? So opening your own business requires some semblance of narcissism. Like you think that you can make it despite the fact that millions other fail, right? It's like super confidence. And these are operationalized in the research, right? Some people would just say, well, that's self-efficacy. Sure, but self-efficacy is still backed by an essence of narcissism. It's like the word ego, right? Ego, we've been taught is a bad thing, but if none of us had egos, we wouldn't be very effective, right? Like you wouldn't think you could do anything. You'd bow out of every competition. There'd be nothing there for you. Um, And same thing with Machiavellian behavior. Like people used to think that that was just a bad word, that if somebody's Machiavellian, that they're power hungry, that they're never read the book. What's up? They obviously never read the book. No, they haven't read the book. And like, and, and even the ones that read the book, for some reason, think that's dark. It's like the book is literally an open letter to the ruler, <laughs> to, to a ruler of a nation at that time. You think that's all done with clean hands? Yeah, well, you know most I mean? people forget the name of the book was The Prince, if you guys want to go look it up. But it was uh, Machiavelli, and he actually had, uh, I, I can't remember the exact person he had in mind when he wrote it, but he was Lorenzo a, uh, Medici. Yeah, he was one of the Medicis. And it was this, you know, uh, telltale all. I mean, people know Machiavelli from Tupac now. And the fact that, <laughs> I mean, so I, I, like there's, I, I think, Guilty. I think if uh, you were to read The 48 Laws of Power, and my, and uh, the prince and some of these other you know readings that you're going over, I think you end up being a pretty switched on guy. I mean, what yeah. um, what's kind of interesting with coaching, um, we've gone to this idea where the majority of coaches are trying to solve everything with this uh, like hardware solution, right? So here's a program. If you do X, Y, and Z, if you do this program, you do triphasic, that'll solve your problems. When I think it's more software, I think you have to want people to succeed. That's a really good way. Of and I, I just like. It doesn't matter what the program is. I mean, how many times have people asked us all these, uh, you know, incredibly uh, detailed programming questions? And I always ask, have you done the program? No. 
why don't you do the program first and then come back to me and ask me some detailed questions? Because here, when we start getting into this, like undulating periodization or, you know, cycling volume and intensity and rep maxes and all the, you know, compensatory acceleration, all of these things are just words until you use them in practice. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's like uh, we cherish the things that we shouldn't. And, you know, the smartest guy who, you know, who has the most programs and this and, you know, that's not the guy. The guy I want is like, you know, not the guy who has, you know, 10,000 kicks. I want the guy that's mastered one kick 10,000 times kind of deal. This is what we do. Everybody gets better. And, um, you know, and more importantly, the guys are bought in. Um, I've seen more uh, football coaches, strength coaches, just coaches in general fail because they never bothered to actually get the buy-in of the players. You know, I mean, I I can think of teams where guys would have walked across the street, you know, uh, you know, would have walked into traffic for the coach and I can fucking be on teams where they probably would have pushed a coach into end of traffic. And, uh, you know, you're never going to have success unless you, you know, convince a bunch of overly important fucking egotistical uh, fucking, you know, adult males that think they know everything. And then you got to predicate your job on them, which is a fucking scary deal. Well said. And Luke, you asked that. I mean, that was a phenomenal question of you saying like, what's the end result? Because I, we, I spent a lot of time trying to go into that. Cause you know, when you try to build any resource, it's really easy to find the problems and then step-by-step is solutions. And you kind of know the end result or the end goal in your head, but sometimes it's, it's kind of hard to put that in words. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we were doing that the other day of making sure like at the end of this, do people really understand what the difference, you know, is. And the only thing I hope people get from the course is that instead of this kind of rigid model of coaching where people view like, okay, the best coaching style is either one that is um, autocratic. So very, you know, military heavy kind of discipline dictator, what have you, or one that's kind of warm empathy, this and that, right. Cause coaches feel like they have to be one way or another. This course is going to teach them the science behind the value of being flexible, adaptable. And yeah, even Machiavellian, seeing the world as it is requires you to see yourself how it is, know how you fit within that world. So we want people to understand how to play chess, not checkers, you know, because the end, the end goal is just to lift the veil a little bit on coach development. Because again, people right now, I, when I was in the collegiate setting on Wednesdays, we would do staff education, right? And it, it might be like, hey, watch, watch Mark Watts's video on uh, nonlinear periodization or read the five dysfunctions of a team or read this or read that what what is out there right now for the art of coaching your i mean book. from a your i'm book. sorry yes in your book <laughs> <laughs> thanks you know, thanks yeah. and like but like and and if there are other things out there right like usually again it's it's selling you some kind of idealistic playbook like i think that's probably why we get along or at least we enjoyed our first talk Tex and john like nothing about you guys like is sold on idealism it's just this kind of it's this reality that, that like John said, like the tough shit is the basic shit and that's what you should be doing. Well, coaching is anything but basic. You have all these people that say it is, but really listen, at the end of the day, it's because if you're a great, if you're great at the social piece, that's not easy to put up on Instagram, right? Like I, it, it's much cooler. And I know this, like I've, I've, I've put pictures of me training my athletes up there. It's much more dynamic to show that than it is to be able to show my value through being an effective communicator. But you, you shouldn't worry about what's on display on your social media in that regard. Like just worry about being good. At, and I, plus I know this, like, and John, you playing in the NFL, this was another big learning lesson for me. One way of coaching when I was working mainly with college athletes may have worked, but if I try talking to my NFL guys or pro guys, whatever sport it is, baseball, what have you, 
the same way I talk to my college guys. There's no way. How would you have responded to that, John? Well, you think you're an adult, um, you know, you got a wife and a kids, you're making a job, you got car payments and all this other deal. And, uh, you know, so you think of yourself as an adult doing an adult job. And uh, when you run into coaches that treat you like a child, you have some fucking serious problems. And, you know, I, I watched this happen too. Um, shit, I had a situation where one of the guys we brought in, one of the old guys uh, one year, was uh, the same age as our offensive line coach. And, uh, you know, shit, I can, uh, you know, one of my favorite stories was, um, I can't remember, he played right tackle for the Eagles. Uh, he came in and he was at the end of his career and John Gruden was sitting there as the offensive coordinator. And he fucking laughed and he's like, Gruden, what the fuck are you doing here, man? You are the fucking ball boy. <laughs> he was, Gruden was, was uh, the, one of the ball boys when he was in college. And here's the situation now, and Gruden's like, well, uh, you know, and he's trying to, like, assert dominance. And he was like, listen here, motherfucker, don't make me pull your pants down. And, like, and then, you know, Gruden was, like, kind of, like, arguing with him. You know, I'm your coach now. And he's like, listen here, motherfucker, you're still the ball boy. That's you know, and, uh, you know, and it's, but, like, that's the situation. Like, but then you also have a situation where uh, if you're an adult and I expect to be treated like an adult, then I'm going to do adult things. If I act like a fucking child and I whine and bitch or I lie and I don't do what I'm supposed to do, then I deserve to get fucking treated like a child. Um, that's the shit that kind of blew my mind. I'm like, dude, you get paid a nice salary to be here. You get expected to do your job. You know what? Show up, be a fucking professional and be an adult. And guys don't learn that till they're a little bit older. And I always think that, you know, it's the job of the old guys to kind of help the young guys along and to teach them this stuff. And yeah. if you don't have a solid kind of uh, veteran crew on your team, uh, fucking young guys are going to lose their mind and they kind of need those checks and balances and, you know, just, they just need that. And I, I'll tell you this, man, I, um, uh, when I retired, people are like, Oh, you're going to get into coaching. And I'm like, no, I, I, <laughs> I have no fucking desire to kiss anybody's ass. Cause in the NFL, like a lot of times they're kissing your ass or begging you to do these things. And I'm like, I got no desire to do that. I believe me. I, the last thing I want to do is sit there with a fucking guy who probably would be my backup and try to convince him to do something. Um, I'm fucking good. I'll go do something else. And, uh, you know, and that's, uh, and you know, that's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, we got into this deal with helping performance and like not necessarily strength conditioning, but it was more this, you know, performance based training system that, um, I just wasn't seeing like the, the stuff that we were implementing and the things that I was talking about just wasn't there. There wasn't much platform for it because people weren't doing it. They were, like you said, man, they were so lost in the X's and O's and the, and the programs and this and this. And I remember a guy asking me one time, Hey, uh, I'd really like to do your programming. And I was like, okay. Um, why? Well, you know, I, I think it'd be real hard. I think I'd get better. I'm like, well, dude, maybe. But uh, at the end of the day, you think that the, um, you know, that the programming that an NFL offensive lineman who's played 10 years and been training every day since he was 13 years old is the right program for you who just picked up weights two weeks ago? Right. You know, and like, what do you mean? It's got to be hard, right? And that, that was kind of where we kind of uh, ran into a lot of deal with the CrossFit where any idiot can make somebody tired. If your only measure for improvement or more importantly, it was good is whether you get your fucking dick kicked in, then you know what? I can't help you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so and you know what? And the NFL gets in this stuff. I mean, I watch all the stuff where it's like, oh, we're doing Navy SEAL training. We're going to do buds. That's going to do a great force until you meet team guys that, that did buds and realize the function of buds is to fucking destroy people and weed them out. It's not right. about performance. It's, it's to fucking strip them down to their most basic. And now you're going to put a bunch of NFL players who got to go out and play a game and you're going to put them in a bud situation to fuck their worlds up. That's and those just, are all primary examples of what I meant, where I just kind of got disillusioned with yeah. where strength and conditioning was heading. It just felt like it was feeding into this kind of ideology that was manufactured because people found this love with the uh, love of this idea that like it's going to create mental toughness. 
give yeah. me a fucking break with that word. Well, I mean, sorry, by the way, I didn't know. Oh, no, 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 please jump in. Um, you know, uh, years ago, somebody asked me, they were like, you know, can you describe mental toughness? And I'm like, yeah, it's a whole bunch of little not quitting along the way. You know, like as yeah. you go through life, like all the little things that you don't want to do that you end up doing end up kind of cascading and building and building. So then when all of a sudden you get to something insurmountable, you're able to kind of, uh, you know, tackle it and feel that you Persevere. can do it. Yeah. And it's like, dude, I, uh, you know, oh, you know, was it hard uh, playing the NFL? Yeah. But you know what? When I was 14 years old and I went and I was going out there to practice or play where it was fucking fun and easy, like all those days accumulate over. So when you get to be, you know, 28 years old, you don't fucking know any better. You just go out there. And um, it just, uh, I think people aren't willing to put in the body of work in the ground, you know, like within the, the um, kind of the, the, the groundwork, aren't willing to put in the body of work necessary to fucking be successful. I mean, it's just like, dude, uh, like I was laughing, I think I said to text the other day, uh, I retired in 2009. So I've been doing this power athlete deal for eight years. I played in the NFL for 10 years. So almost as long as I've been as I played in the NFL, I've been reflecting on the training and observing others in terms of like what I did and what other people are doing and then worked with them, you know, within, you know, not, not just two or three people. I mean, literally hundreds of thousands, I mean, fucking thousands of people we've worked with. And you just start, uh, you know, understanding that there's some truths in real time. And that's what the power athlete stuff's based on that. Uh, I don't know how to fucking bullshit you. I don't know how to like make it easy. I don't know how to fucking, you know, side hustle you or DM you or whatever <laughs> the fuck it is. I don't know how to get you there without fucking hard work, perseverance, and just showing up fucking every day. And, um, you know, everybody's looking for the hack on this. And I'm like, dude, there is no fucking hack. The hack is fucking showing up and doing inconsistency, but that's not what people want. So. And Brett, I, guess I want to see. I, I want to be in the room when John like trains himself. I just feel <laughs> no, like you don't. He's naked. Like it's oiled up. It's weird. Has to be the biggest double oh, entendre dude. ever. Oh, my fucking. You, I imagine it's like one of those animal pack, old animal pack uh, ads. No, just so, it, it used to be, <laughs> man. I, I, fuck, I fuck my right shoulder up, and uh, like it just. And I, I tore the um, typical. I'm fucking trying to do muscle ups at 300 pounds, and I tear my shoulder, and I tear my inner spinatus, and so I lack fucking stability overhead and i'm so fucking stubborn i keep thinking that i can fix it that i'll get this thing to do there'll be something that'll come out and i'm i, I hit up my doctor buddy today and i was like tom we gotta do something he's like i know he's i'm like it's been fucking seven years dude of me literally fucking fighting to fix this thing and it fucking hurts my training because i can't train with the volume of intensity and be able to ramp it up the way that i want and it's like a little right. piece of you fucking dies to go in there and be like okay i'm gonna safety squat bar again mm -hmm. and then you get underneath the bar and you're like fuck dude like i can't, <laughs> I can't get into the position so how about I always laugh when I go to, uh, I'll, I'll go to the conferences, right? Like coaches conferences coming up and uh, I'll see the guys like getting ready to squat in the exhibition hall. And I'm like, Oh fucking God bless you guys. Huh? You can just show up with a belt and shoes and you're ready to go. I go, if I was going to join you for this squat, like I need at least a 30 minute warm up. I need some flex all. I need some knee sleeves. I'm going to need a little bit of ammonia and uh, definitely some fucking angry music on the deal. Yeah. Yeah. So Brett, uh, real quick, man, you've just, all you've done, not like all you've done, but your primary focus has been strength coach, right? Yeah. Since, yeah. For this, you were right. This is my 12th year as a strength coach. And here, you know, I guess the, the parallel I'm making is uh, I, I had a five-year stint in corporate, kind of corporate America where there's a huge... Deloitte? <laughs> no, as a Navistar. We sold truck parts as riveting. That was a pun because of rivets. Anyone? I don't get it. Okay. It's yeah, uh, good. I like it. Thanks, John. Uh, but the mindset, I mean, the mindset you're talking about, in, like, is 
within the straight coach dynamic is a, a plague in fucking the middle management of corporate America, bro. And uh, just the idea that you think you're stuck there and, uh, you know, this that there is no entrepreneur, like you can have an entrepreneurial mindset in the corporate uh, layout. And I'm just thinking of our listeners that, I don't know, maybe 50% of them are just folks who follow our programming and are normal folks, but this is a lot of shit that they could theoretically take into their, um, just their lifestyle, whatever they do same, for work. Same, yeah. Same problem, different, you know, yeah. different career, same problems, right? The same thing with the book, right? The book, mm-hmm. even though was targeted initially at strength and conditioning, uh, like I, I mentioned it earlier, I was super surprised when guys from Microsoft reached out and they're like, right, Hey, right. we love the archetype section. Would you come speak on it? And so I just got tired of reading books from corporate America and trying to extract that into strength and conditioning. Sure, sure. I was like, why can't I write something for strength and conditioning that can go the other way? Right. So the book is just about communication, self-identification and things like that. Um, I got tired of reading books that I, again, were kind of warm, sing songy, idealistic, you know, just build positive habits and good things will happen you know, I, I understand for the average reader, the first hundred pages or so would be slow. But once it starts talking about ego, insecurity, drives, personality types, reflection, identification, strategies, trust tenants, I think, you know, it gets a bit more interesting for, mm-hmm. for the average reader. Um, I, I just think it's pervasive. I think right now, John's right. Like we live in a culture where people almost feel like they can't be who they want to be because it's wrong. There's something wrong about everything that you are. Like you're either offensive to somebody or you're not organized enough. Or, I mean, I used to beat myself up when I'd go out to, when I do go out and speak, I'd I'd be around people that they're like, Oh man, I woke up at 6am and you know, I worked out and I answered emails for an hour and a half and I did this and I got like these ultra like just uh, organized people. It was almost like a competitive sport. Just how organized are you? And I told my wife, I go, man, I feel kind of like a piece of shit. And she goes, why? She's like, you're 31. You've written a book. You got a master's. I go, yeah, but like, I am not as organized and as routinized as the average person. And you know what? That's just not how I roll. Like I have a process that works for me. I have those things. But my point is, is we live in a world where almost everything, if you don't know who you are and if you're not comfortable who you are, almost every single thing will make you feel like you're wrong Mm -hmm. or that you're offending. Or how about one time I had a job where I literally got told during a performance review that my passion and my drive was intimidating. And Mm -hmm. I just sat there and I was like, so what, how am I supposed to behave? You know, cause when I coach, I'm pretty intense. I just, I like coaching. I get after it. I have fun on the floor and what have you. And it's well, if you could just bring your personality down a bit, I'm like, fuck, why can't they bring it up? Mm -hmm. You know, like, and why is somebody worried they're not coaching with me? And they're just like, well, your, uh, your coworkers just feel like, you know, that, that, and I'm just like, this is unbelievable. I go shoot me. Now it's a different story if I'm out there breaking a board on my back and it, <laughs> well, like well, trying to draw attention to myself. But this was just me being fired up and coaching guys. Sure. The, the irony of this is right over your right shoulder is a Richie Incognito jersey. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had to switch. I've been uh, like switching all around the room because uh, the light was just blinding me. Oh, I, uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, the irony of that is I know Richie, who's a fucking overgrown six year old. Oh, he's uh, my uh, he's my dude. He's <laughs> dude. a close family friend. <laughs> dude. Th- I, I know Richie had... and a massive fucking just uh, he's just fucking like a big kid to me. And, and what uh, you got to love is the guy's still just crushing people. Oh, uh, yeah. And what's crazy is, uh, you know, everybody was so outraged in that thing in Miami. And I'm like. I don't know what everybody's so outraged about. That seems kind of normal. I mean, you know, there's a lot of gay jokes and, you know, it's not my fault the guy went to Stanford. So, I mean, <laughs> like, fuck. what's funny is he, uh, he came to my wife and I, he came to our wedding in Omaha and couldn't have been on better behavior. Just oh. sitting in the back table, kind of hanging out. It was him, 
Mike Bully, Pat Chung, who that's Pat's yeah. jersey, and then a couple other guys. And they were the most low key. The only dude that was off his rocker was our friend Shane Olivier, who played for the Chargers for a while. He was an Ohio State Buckeye. And it had been a while since Shane had kind of just relaxed and had some fun, right? So I think my uncle, who was a commodities broker in Chicago, bought them some drinks. Next thing you know, Shane at 380 pounds, a little bit overserved, grabs a piece of the wedding cake, goes over to my uncle Jack, who's a retired hog, hog farmer, slaps it into his coat and goes, you ready to party or what? <laughs> my uncle Jack just looks at him and goes, son. I know you played in the NFL, but I wrestled hogs for a living. I'll take your ass down. You do that again. I'm like, this is going to be the best wedding ever. Yeah, that Richie is was great. Richie was calm. And then cue the worm, because that's what breaks out after that, right? The worm on the dance floor. <laughs> well, Brett, man, no doubt. it's great talk. Uh, do we have anything else? Text me on to cover. Um, just where can people find more about you? You know, uh, we got the artofcoaching.com that we, we discussed earlier. So where can people direct you? What do you got coming up? Speaking gigs, um, the, the online course, what's, what do people got? Yeah. Know? So right now the best place is still, I would just go to, um, the BartholomewStrength.com or bridgehp.com. The art of coaching is getting built out. So that will be done in the next two months, artofcoaching.com. That'll also be the where the course is going to be. So that's that's going to be the best place if they're listening to this. When will this drop? A couple uh, weeks. Yeah, mid December. Or yeah, uh, so December eighth. Okay. So at that point, I would say same thing. Just Bridge HP Bartholomew Strength, but the course will be on artofcoaching.com. Hopefully, come February. Um, I'm going to be in China, uh, Shanghai, and Australia next. And yeah, the, the main project right now is just locking down that course. So if they want more information on it, we try to make it really easy. Um, everybody, regardless of mobile carrier, can just literally text the number 44222. Uh, and then you just put Brett, B-R-E-T-T, B as in boy. And you'll get a free uh, chapter of the book. It'll get you on the newsletter for the course. Again, whether you're a manager, uh, whether you work, no matter what job you work in, like coaching, we, we chose that term purposefully instead of strength and conditioning, coaching is a universal term. If you work with people and communicate with people, uh, that's what the course is going to be about. So it may have a sports directed focus in some of the narrative, but it's going to be about conflict resolution, communication, social science, sociopolitical roles, and all those kinds of things. And hopefully just bring, um, a combination of information and like science and stories to help you get better at those pieces. There you go. And uh, if you don't know how to read like me, the audiobook narrated by John Wellborn with bonus <laughs> side stories regarding side hustles may be a thing in the work. Yeah, the uh, audiobook hopefully will be out in the coming months. Otherwise, you guys can find the book Conscious Coaching on Amazon. It's a whopping 20 bucks paperback and $10 on Kindle. And uh, December 19th, we're going to drop the Kindle price down to three bucks. So there you go. If you have friends that like to read or anything like that, rock and roll, I really appreciate the support. Any small business owners maybe will appreciate the fact that it's independently published. I don't have any kind of big marketing machine. So it's all word of mouth. So if you like it, just share it with a friend. I appreciate it. Brett, you're the man, uh, fucking pretty cerebral coach, uh, one of a kind, I think. And dude, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. And uh, we got to fucking link up one of these days once you get off this 60 flight per year fucking cadence, man. You know? Yeah, hopefully next year I'll have a little bit more time. This year has been kind of a, a wild ride. And I was trying to get down there because I wanted to get involved with what you guys are doing. I think that's super cool, that event. That, so sorry that didn't match up this year. Um, oh, no worries. We're going to try and... You know, this, I'm actually going to talk with John right after this, try and lock down uh, a date next year so we can start getting 
the fucking word out because I know how, like six months is no eight months, ten months is almost too soon now, uh, just with how kind of schedules shake out with a lot of our a lot of our folks. Yeah, so. but I can't wait to can't wait to get down there and best of luck to you guys and thanks again for having me on and dealing with me stumbling over my words early on. No, easy day, man. All right, have a good one, bro. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Boom. All right, good stuff, man. Cool. John, you feeling better? Oh, my throat is fucking killing me. <laughs> Tex, you look like you had a bunch more questions in the works, man. You always sit there and you purse your lips and you're like, mother. I'm just waiting up, for the moment to not interrupt John. It's, mm-hmm. I got to work on interrupting John more. Why, what is that, John? I didn't even speak so much. John, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I didn't even well, speak I guess, I guess yeah, you're not a doctor. Yeah, John He's projecting. that one. He's man. projecting. He's talking about you, Brett, you fucking loudmouth. Oh, you don't throat. let Tex talk at all. Yeah, no, I should have shut up. <laughs> no, I sat there and I'm like, I go, Tex looks like he wants to say something <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he wants to say. Yeah, we never do. And, you know, one of these days. I love Lamp. Yeah, it could be, uh, you know, maybe it's Tex breaks out of his shell and we find out he is a serial killer. Or he's like, the bodies are buried in John's backyard. Well, Definitely we, I, scheduled this, I, scheduled right this, uh, I scheduled this when Luke would be away with his family, but then he just showed up. Yeah. He <laughs> took away my thunder. That's right. <laughs> he is a fucking... Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks again for taking the time. I'm a fucking oh. one-upper. All right, see you, yeah. Brett. See you, yeah. brother. Bye. Thank you. Peace. Later, bro. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. To get the full Brett Bartholomew experience, I recommend heading to BartholomewStrength.com. Luke definitely hit it on the head when he said that Brett was one of our more cerebral guests. And you can see how Brett can improve your coaching by checking out one of his webinars or by looking into his book, Conscious Coaching. Super smart guy, and we were glad to have him. Until next time, bye! Bye!